Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. So this morning it's a huge privilege to do that. Our circumstances don't determine our righteousness, peace and joy. They're determined by Him, Jesus Christ alone. So I'm talking about joy this morning and I am so excited because there's this one verse that in the last two weeks has gripped my heart and actually become so real to me. So we're going to have a look at it together. John chapter 15, verse 11 says this. I have told you, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. I don't know about you, I saw that word overflow and I went, come on, I want that. I want that sort of life. And I just, whether you are believing it yet or not, by the end, I pray you are, if you can say with me, say, I want some of that overflowing joy. Can you just say that, even if it's under your breath? One, two, three, I want some of that overflowing joy. Good. I was watching those people who didn't do it. Sorry, bad luck. No, I'm joking. (laughs) The title of my message this morning is, It's Overflowing. It's Overflowing. So let's pray. Father, I pray this morning as your word comes, I pray, God, it wouldn't be my feeble attempts to try and convince people, but God, your word would come and would recalibrate our lives, would shape us, would invite us into the more that you have for us. And I pray, God, that none of us will just leave the invitation lying there, but we'll pick it up and say, Jesus, thank you for the invitation. We're going to step out in obedience. Thank you for your word. Amen. When I don't know about you, when you hear the word, it's overflowing. I don't know about you, maybe it's the first image in your head is of a block toilet with a plunger and you're desperately calling your, your wife, help me! I don't know, maybe it's that or, or maybe it's a bathtub, your kids just let run and just spilt and spilt and spilt and you come home and they're like, <laughs> swimming pool. For me, it was uh, a couple years ago in Joburg when uh, I, was, I woke up in the morning, I'd been there and we did a camp that weekend and I was coming home in the evening, but I was going to spend the last day with one of my good friends there. And in the morning, though, I just woke up and things weren't right. I was a bit queasy. It was just not a good day. And I was running to the bathroom, and I didn't know which, which, which end to go first with, you know, to lead with. Does anyone know where I'm going with that? It was one of those moments, nothing pretty. And uh, I was a single man at this time. But what happened was uh, the whole day just went, and I didn't eat anything all the whole day. And it was just a miserable day of going from the bed to the bathroom, just sweating and not feeling good at all. And then even I had to get to the airport, so Joburg traffic, I got in the car, and we had to leave an hour in the car, and my friend, my friend, convinced me that I needed to put something in my stomach. So he said, you got it, You've, it's too empty. So we pulled into a KFC. Now, wisdom's maybe not one of his spiritual gifts. I want to tell you, KFC is good 99% of the time. It's very good. Finger licking good. But I want to tell you, this was not one of those 99% times. I got the, I can't even remember what it was, if it was a piece of chicken or I don't know, but just that smell, that smell. I put it in my lap and I was just like, oof, this is not good. And I, you know, hand goes in, I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. And we're driving on the N1 and cars and there's nowhere, it's just going. But then after, as I try to take one bite, just the smell just took over me and it was game over in the car. I vomited into the only, only, only thing that could contain that I could see, which was the KFC brown packet. Now, let me tell you, brown packets, maybe you assume they are good at holding vomit. 
Welcome to church this morning, everyone. <laughs> Let me tell you this, if you want taking notes, just take this down. KFC packets are not good for vomit. Write that one down. I'll give you scripture later. <laughs> but I want to tell you that thing, as I went to, I just thought, oh, done. Here's the relief. That, that first moment of relief, it's out. And I was like, oh, maybe that's better. I just need to get it out, yeah? And then as we drove a little bit, I started to feel, why are my legs a little, they, am I sweating on my legs? What's going on here? That liquid had wormed its way in between the chicken pieces. And out the bottom, this thing started to come. Can I tell you what this did to me? I'm, I'm like a chain reaction. I don't stop. So this, I so lifted the packet and I saw some vomit stains on my only, my own vomit. I don't know what I'm going to be like with kids. It's going to be a nightmare. And again it came, the wave came. So I vomited again into the packet. I didn't know where else to go. The guy who was driving with me, so now this thing starts to seep there, but now this thing was filling up because there were so many boxes in there. It wasn't coming out the bottom only, it was coming out the top. It was overflowing! The guy who took me there, who was fine all day, was actually going, I am fine. All of a sudden he said, I'm also feeling sick. He pulls over and starts vomiting on the side of the N1. It was a dog show. I actually think dog shows are neater than that, actually. But I tell you, it was, it was just chaos. It was overflowing. The thing inside of me had to come out. <laughs> Maybe a slightly better example, probably one I should have led with, actually, at a church meeting, was when I met Fiona a few years later. Um, I fell in love with this girl on the day one I saw her. I'm that sort of guy. I'm like, I'm in. That's cool. I like her. She's pretty and she smiled at me. Must mean she likes me. <laughs> so I was in. We had, we, we had been dating for three weeks. Now, this was... And to date her was a big thing because she was, she was like, you know, I've only known you for a little bit. I don't ever do this stuff. I never, I don't date guys unless I've like known you for many years. Actually, I don't date guys. Hey, there's no one else. Good, just check <laughs> But then she said, I'm in. And I thought, yeah, I just was, I was caught up. And, and actually, I felt the emotion and the love for her and the, the affection for the, I mean, look at her. How could I not? It started to well up inside of me, and I was like, I just love this girl so much, and I was going through my head, how do I express this feeling? And I was thinking, so I say, I just really enjoy spending time. I thought, maybe that'll be a good one to say. I thought, no, 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 no. Maybe, maybe I'll say, no, I really, really in- enjoy your humor. No, I really like you even, maybe. Three weeks of dating, Gabe Phillips, the master, the orator, turned to her and said, I love you. I just looked with, with pain and, and, and a fear in my eyes. As she looked at me, the silence seemed to stretch on and on and on. And Fiona said the warmest word the kind, in the kindest way possible. Let me tell you that. I can't stress enough. She said, thank you. <laughs> it was a moment where I realized it's overflowing. It just couldn't stop it. couldn't keep it in. My problem. I want to tell you, when something is overflowing, it means you're so, something, you're so full of it, something is so full, whether it's the bathwater, whether it's your emotions, that you just can't help but express it. It can't help but just, it comes out. And I want to tell you this morning that the incredible promise of the gospel, Jesus says, my joy will be in you, and your joy will overflow. The great news, and I, but the problem is, when I look at my life, the track record of my life, and the life of people around me, too often, I feel we're overflowing with stress and anxiety. And the pressure's in tre- pressure, 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 we're too, we too overflowing with frustrations, or too overflowing with racism that actually after a while just comes out in a tweet. 
in a statement, in a frustration to your wife, in a, in a, 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 a snack of the kid. You know, it's, we're overflowing with the wrong things when he's called us. You're called to overflow with my joy. It's overflowing. I want to tell you this, this, this morning. Jesus, if I, if, if I had to give him a, a mantra, what, what he came to do, if he had to have a mission statement, Jesus Ministries International, I think you couldn't go wrong with Luke 19, verse 10, which we love, which says, I came to seek and save that which was lost. And we believe, we preach that every weekend, we believe it's deep in the fiber of who we are, that Jesus came not for the healthy, but for the sick. We believe that. Maybe if you wanted to push it a bit, another great one of Jesus' a mission statement, maybe John 3, 17, which says, I came not to condemn the world, but to save it. And I, want, I pray that you never hear from this pulpit or any pulpit or any person's mouth in this church, we are not here to condemn you. We're here to point you to a savior. That is the reason Jesus came. That's his mission. But I, 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 because I'm preaching today, I settled on John 10 verse 10. It's a scripture. I would love you to go read it. But he said this. He said, the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy. And he said, but I came. Jesus said, but I came so that you may have life and life in abundance. My version that I love to read says that you may have life and life overflowing. Mm. It's overflowing. Good stuff. Maybe you've bought and you've snuck into church today or you've been coming for years and unfortunately the, the, the religious, religious spirit has settled on you and you've bought into a lie that God is this moralistic deity who's far separated, who's got a stern look on his face, he's rule keeping and he's obsessed with, with, with how are you, are, you in, are you doing well or not. I, I, I would love to counter that maybe you've bought into the wrong image of God. When I can tell you this morning, I'd love to introduce you to the God of joy. A God of joy. And somebody once said that joy is the serious business of heaven. He takes our joy and his joy seriously. He wants to, it to, he wants, he's so full of joy. God is so full. He said that I'm so full of joy, I'm going to pour it out on you so you can overflow. Jesus was sent out of an overflow of God's heart. It wasn't a meager thing. If God wanted to save us and he was rationing it out, he would not have sent his only begotten son. He sent the best, the overflow. He won, sent the one who embodies joy to be our savior. Good news. So much so, I read in scripture, it says this in the Bible. It says that when one sinner repents, one, it says heaven erupts in the wildest party on, that could, you could ever imagine. Can I tell you, if, if I look back, when I say one sinner repents, when one person says they're going to make a trade, they're going to turn away from their life of trying to fight for their own righteousness and fight for their own peace and fight for their own joy. When they say, I'm going to repent of doing that in my own strength and turn and say, I'm entering into your righteousness, your peace, your joy. That's what repentance is, trading one for something better and giving and leaving it behind. When one sinner repents, it says heaven erupts in praise and party and joy. I want to tell you, looking at life changes over the last year, with the number of sons and daughters who've committed their life to Christ, who've come alive to Him, I tell you, parties are popping up in heaven nearly every second day. And we're not the only church. It's happening all around the world. I believe that heaven hasn't had one quiet day since the day Jesus died. When He rose from the dead party, the streamers were out, and, and He's welcoming home, sinner after sinner after sinner. And He's not calling them sinner anymore, saying, son, daughter, enter into my joy. Yeah. Woo! It's overflowing. I tell you, this is amazing because 
a man named C. Baxter Kruger, he talks about the, the prodigal son. You know that story? Everyone heard it before? When a, a son who, who ran away from his father and took his inheritance early and went and spent it on wild living and just did everything that he knew he shouldn't. And one day, in his weakness, he returned home. The, the scriptures tell us the father had been looking and gazing down the road every day, waiting for the return of his son. And, uh, and you read in some versions that the father said the sight of his son, the mere sight of his son, the son had said nothing. The son had done nothing yet. The father hitched up his robe and sprinted in front of all his colleagues, all his servants, all those people who looked at him as the, the chief of the home. He embarrassed himself and lifted up his robe and ran to his boy. Seabax the Kruger says, the better rendering is the father danced down the road towards his boy. The dancing father. This blew me away this week when I started to read the scripture in Zephaniah 3, which says something like this. It says, the Lord takes great delight in you. He calms you from with, your, with his peace, and he rejoices over you with singing. Yeah. Can I tell you, if you're looking in the, in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word, I know about two Hebrew words, and I'll preach them all the time because there's only two I know. But one of them is this word ghoul. And ghoul is the, the word that they use in that passage saying what the Father does in response to us. It says he spins violently rejoicing over us. Yeah. Now let me explain this. I don't know if you've ever seen like a four-year-old kid who's stocked up on sugar. And the sugar's gone in and they just suddenly go, I'm going to overflow. You know, they're like, this is too much, it's just too much. And then they start to run around, run around in a circle. And they lose control and they're falling about. And it's like, oh, it's, over. it's too much now. It's too much. You can't explain it. I want to tell you that the, the lavishness of the father is that type of indulgence, but he's not stocked up on sugar. He's watched the sugar film. He knows it's bad. He's stocked up on joy forevermore. He says, pleasure's on my right hand forevermore. He's so full of joy in who he is and his nature that he starts to spin when he sees us. He wants to pour his overflow of joy into us. He starts to spin violently around in pleasure and delight for us. The father of joy. Maybe I, I just even felt, even now, maybe you've came back to God, or you're trying to come back to God, and you, you feel, how's God going to receive me? The way the father received the prodigal son coming home was he killed the fattened calf, and he said, I'm going to throw the biggest of parties, because that which was lost is now found. And I believe that God wants us to understand this is his nature, this is who he is, and this is what he is inviting us into, his pleasures, his joy forevermore. I read in the scripture and I feel it's not a suggestion. This is who God is calling us into. It's not our future one day, to, one day to come. It's now. The joy of our Father. So this morning, very quickly, I want to preach out of another text very quickly on how to get your overflowing going. Is that right? How to get your overflowing going. That's wonderful, Gabe. You tell me about God, but how do I live in that reality every day? Let's read the scripture out of the wisdom literature, Proverbs Chapter 4, five verses together, verse 20 to 25. It's the New Living Translation version. Let's read it together. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Quick pause. We are a people that believe that this thing, the word of God, made, when we receive with faith, can bring healing to the whole body emotions, your mental state, your body, your physical state, this thing is powerful and active. We trust that, not our own schemes. Next one says this, above all else, guard your heart, 
for from it flows, for from it flows the springs of life. Avoid all perverse talk, stay away from corrupt speech, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Before we get in those three points, just when anything says above all else, I don't know about you, I, I, I'm like, I want to know, what, what is above all else? If the Bible is giving us good suggestions, the book of Proverbs, suggestions of life and living, how we can live in the freedom that God has called us to live, and it says, yeah, yeah, but, but above all else, you've got to take note. And, and I think too often, I know for me, my above, to all, my above all else is I need to make sure my money is okay. I'm just being honest. The 15th of December was a long time ago. And I know the last two weeks, my above all else can very quickly shift. How am I going to make it through the month? How am I going to do this? Secondly, maybe for me, this is just confession time. And my above all else very quickly can be, how can I keep fee happy? Because I've, be, I've been told by the modern day prophets, happy wife equals happy life. <laughs> I found it on a Chinese cracker once. Huh? Must be true. Or maybe the other, other big preachers in their life say, above all else, if you want to be happy, just get fit, just get healthy. Because Virgin has told us, live happily ever active. Happily ever active. It must be right. Now let me tell you, don't get me, hear me wrong, being a good steward of your money, being a good steward of your, your spouse, being a good steward of your health, brilliant things. But if they are the ultimate thing, then it'll ruin everything. The above all else has to take such precedent in our life has to shake off all these other things. It says this, it says, above all else, guard your heart. Now, as a redhead, with very pale skin, I do not leave the home. I do not go to the beach, I do not leave the home, I don't sometimes even look through the window without lathering myself up in SPF 40. It is quite a song and dance, I have to do it over my arms several times, my neck, Sometimes just run it through my hair just in case, you never know. I've got to guard my skin because I know what redheads look like when they've been in the sun too long. I know. Or maybe for you it's a different thing. You know how to guard, I think we know well how to guard our diet. I'm gluten-free, carbs-free, sugar-free. What do you eat, by the way? Quick question. Just a thought. You know, but, but people are, they are guarding that thing. They're putting a post about what is bad in the teller. Oh. <laughs> Facebook's powerful, Mark. Use it for good. <laughs> but I think we, we know how to guard our, our skin. We know how to guard our... our, our Guard our diets, we know how to guard our homes, we're paying money and, and security systems. We know how to guard our health, we've got medical aid, which are all good things. They're not bad things, but if they are the ultimate thing, they'll ruin everything. The Bible tells us this. So I want to suggest, how do we guard our hearts? If, if from our hearts flow the springs of life, overflow the joy that God wants us to steward, that he wants to pour in there and wants us to overflow with, how do we do that? And three things that the scripture picks up on. So if your heart is going to overflow with joy, you're going to have to stop the overflow of, number one, your thinking. Let me explain this to you. The English language has a great way to describe the mind or our thinking. It says, my thoughts are racing. My, my, my mind ran away with me. Our imagination runs wild. And I think too often that we live as captives of our thoughts. 
Let me explain this to you this morning. Everything you do started in your thinking. Everything. The pursuit of happiness, of, of, of wanting some sort of fulfillment life, motivates everything we do. You know the reason, you're all here this morning because you think by being here there'll be some level, great level of happiness. Whether, even if, it, and if you're like lying, or even if it's because your mom phones every week saying, did you go to church? And you're like, I'm just here to shut her up. You're motivated by the fact that if I shut her up, I'll be happy. <laughs> Promise. We, every decision starts in our thoughts. But here's the kicker for me is don't believe everything you think. Let me tell you why. Nobody has lied to you more than yourself. I see a few nods, so I'm onto something here, I think. I know that, that I'm the greatest liar of my, to myself. I disqualify myself every day. I tell myself that my, what I really want is really important. I explain to myself, I have inner dialogues, why I should do that and why I shouldn't do that. And later I go, I knew what I was saying was a lie, but I did it anyway. Everything, we are prisoners of our thought life too often. I believe that this thought is so true that faith will either affect your feeling or your feelings will affect your faith. But there's no other middle ground. You can't uh, disentangle those two. Your faith will either affect your feelings or your feelings will affect your faith. It's a non-negotiable. It's how this thing works. But I really believe sometimes as captives of our thoughts and our feelings that we end up letting them dictate how our days will go. I know this. I wake up in the morning. I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. What does that even mean? Just feeling blue today. You know, we, we, we disqualify our days by how we feel in the morning. We disqualify, we, we believe the lie straight away. The first lie into it, we go, that's how my day is going to go. Just a Monday. The Bible tells us this incredible thing. When it talks about our mind and our thoughts, it says this sort of language. Fix your thoughts. Yeah. Wow. It says this sort of language. Renew your mind. Take every thought captive. It says, set your mind on things above. I love those, and I wrestle those things because I love the language of that. It's not this nary pamby. Sometimes we don't. We think that just, our thoughts are going to go, and I'll just say what I feel, and that's how I feel. And no, the Bible gives us authority over our thought life. But I feel that we, I know I'm not. Sometimes I just let my thoughts go. Go down that trail. Go down that just the distraction. Go down that feeling of anxiety or fear. I love this sort of thing. I tell you, I, where it says this thing, this has become something so huge for me. Where it says, take every thought captive. I, I, maybe this is for real for you. For the big issue in my life, which I've said many times, I struggled with lust. And I bought into the lie that, you know, that's how every guy feels. It's how every guy thinks anyway. So you know what I did? Went with the flow. I, I, I built up lust in my heart because I thought about it, and then it would start to overflow into a pornography addiction. The overflow was pornography addiction because I did not take control of my thought life. Then the scriptures, God has helped me understand this and bring it under control. It says, take every thought captive. I have authority over my thoughts. I have authority over my thought life. And I want to tell you right now that we have to own our thought life. 
We have to own it and take responsibility for our thought lives and which paths they are treading down. Whether it's, it's a, a feeling or it's a desire, God has given us authority over our thought lives. And the greatest weapon with that is actually to feed it on this, the Word of God. The Bible actually says in Philippians 4, think on these things. It gives us not just says, don't, don't think, so I can't think. It actually says, no, sow in a different area. Start sowing in this thing. God has given us authority, and I really believe this is something that I'm living at the moment. It's so much so that the, proverb, the man who writes in the Proverbs says this, pay careful attention, listen to my words. For us to get our thought life, we have to start paying careful attention, listening to what he is saying. A man named John Mayer, one of our modern-day prophets, he said this thing, he said he lived in celebrity culture, we bought into it, and he bought bodyguards. Um, Security systems, high walls, fencing, security systems for his security systems. And he said, but yes, every morning I'd wake up and I'd log on to social media and read all the vile, terrible things people were saying about me. He said, I forfeited all my money that I spent on security because I would let brokenness in my heart every morning. No security, can, no thing can guard your heart if you just open it up to abuse and to attack and to allow your thought life to go wherever you please. Stop the overflow of your thinking. Secondly, this morning, is stop the overflow of your words. The Bible says this, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus also goes on and says, it's not what goes in to your mouth that makes a man unclean, but what comes out. So can I tell you, I think a lot of us are stuck in the cycle, I am at times, where it's this, where I, in my heart, I'm not guarding my heart, it's becoming vile, so I just say things, and then when I say things, you know what happens with that word? It goes back in my heart, it stews there, and then I just say it, and I live in this perpetual motion of never addressing what is coming out of my mouth, what's guarding in my heart. God has called us to take stock of our words, because I think a lot of us live this life saying, I just say what I feel, that's who I am. I just say what I feel. Or we say things like, you know, he, he, just, he just put me in a bad mood. Who is he and why does he have so much authority over your mood? Why, why does that person have so much authority over how you feel? And what you have to say. This is a profound thing for me because I want to say who has authority over life? Who are you allowing to, to disturb your flow? Disturb your overflow? To pull you in a different direction? If you insist on saying whatever you feel, you will end up feeling whatever you say. Let me say it again. If you keep on insisting, I'll say what I feel, I promise you, you will feel what you say. And this thing will not be overflow of joy. Why this is huge and a problem for us, because in South Africa at the moment, black and white alike are just saying what they feel. And the words, are, the words are coming, but it's, it's an indicator of what's in the heart. The mouth is not just something disentangled to the heart, and that's a problem. White people, black people are just saying what I feel about racist people, about whites, about blacks, about this. It's a problem. It's showing that there's a great deficit in our hearts, and we have to take responsibility for that. If you start phrases with, I'm not racist, but you are a racist. <laughs> And I fall in that trap. I'm the first one with my hand up. I've said that. But God is saying what you say, we've got to take control of our mouths. Our mouths just don't go with what we want, feel. Pull them back into line. The Bible says, do not let corrupt or perverse speech leave your lips. 
Proverbs says, put a seal on my lips, put a guard on my lips. We've got to take authority if we want our hearts to thrive in joy. Show me what you say, and I will show you your heart. You can't move the, separate the two. Finally, we've got to stop the overflow, not of our thinking, overflow of our mouths, but actually the overflow of our eyes. The proverb ends with says, set your eyes on what is in front of you. And I want to really commend us this morning. If we are to live in overflowing joy, we have to take our eyes off what lies behind. Too many Christians are walking backwards, looking at their guilt and shame, saying, yeah, the cross behind me, the world in front of me, my pain in front of me, my brokenness, my shame in front of me. If you want overflowing joy, you cannot dwell on the past. Jesus calls himself the king of righteousness. He says, I'm the prince of peace. And I'll tell you this morning, he's also the God of joy, but you cannot know the God of joy until you've given up fighting for your own righteousness and your own peace. If you want the joy that God promises, we have to know that his righteousness is more than enough for us. And not just know it, but know it inside our hearts. What we're guarding our heart from is what we're letting out, but we have to allow God to put in his righteousness, transform our hearts. I tell you, Christ endured the cross for the joy set before him. Jesus died not because he was going to love the cross so much. He died for the joy that was set before him. His eyes weren't fixed on, on the trial or the circumstances. His eyes were fixed on entering into the Father's joy, his presence forevermore. And I want to tell you the problem with Christianity so often is we get told to endure, but we don't know what we have to look forward to. What joy do we have looming ahead? What joy has the Father wanted to pour into our trials? You cannot endure until you know how to enjoy. Too many Christians are just white-knuckling, enjoying, I'm enduring, when they need to be learn how to enjoy the Father. And this issue is fixing our eyes. So much so, I tell you that, that it's, it's not too about your circumstances, about who he is, because there's a, it's not about nice, hey, this is not a promise of happy-go-lucky Christianity. The disciples in the, Acts, the book of Acts, they, they count, they rejoiced, because they, they rejoiced, because they were, they, count, they were counted worthy for suffering for his name. Now, this is not a promise that everything's going to go well. Au contraire. <laughs> this is a promise, though, that you will have joy and joy overflowing in any circumstance. Rain or shine, valley or mountaintop, you can have joy. If your joy is fixed on Him, your eyes are set on Him, not on your circumstances. Take control of our eyes. There's a, even a movie named after it. There's the whole way of American society and it seeps into our culture. The pursuit of happiness. We live our lives, I mentioned earlier, pursuing happiness. Everything we do, trying to get, get a flow that will get us happy. Try and get a flow that will be happy. If I do that, if I do this, if I do that. I want to tell you that the difference is this. The Father does not promise us a pursuit of happiness. He says, I want to invite you to a pursuit of joy. And actually the kicker is this. Joy is a person. His name is Jesus. And actually the great delight is that you find out the pursuit was joy chasing you. That's the whole gospel, is that the fact it's not about calling us, follow me as if he's holding out, come, come, try and catch me. No, no, he's a father who's entering into your promises, entering into your trial, and saying, I want to pour my joy into you so that you can overflow. This is the joy that the father has promised. This morning I felt very strongly 
that God wants to break the back, break the cycle, break the, the uh, put a dam up the overflow of our fear, of our rejection, of our anxiety, of our addictions, the things that just overflow, that we just, I say, I'm helpless to control. The Father says this, I will fill you with my joy, and your joy will overflow. The only thing that is required of us at this moment is to know how to receive his joy. Can I pray? Our faith is not based on our lack or our deficit or our resources. Our faith is based on the fact that heaven is full of yes and amen promises in Christ Jesus. Father God, I pray right now for, for all these people who are saying, Father, I need breakthrough. I thank you, Father God, would you give them wisdom and courage to today to make decisions to stop the overflow of their thinking, to stop the overflow of their mouths, to stop the overflow of their eyes, and to bring them in line and order with you, Christ Jesus. But God, above all those, would there be one resounding call with your voice saying, look at me. Look at me. And find that I am your salvation. I'm the one who frees you. I'm the one who sets you free of these things. Right now, even if there's a lie, Father, of, of this is just my cross to bear, and I'm going to battle with this till the day I die. Thank you, God, that death is not our Savior, Jesus is. So I thank you, God, that Jesus Christ is crucified so that the captives can be set free. So, Father, right now, if you're there, can you just lift your hands? Just as this a sign and a symbol of saying, Father, it's not in my strength, it's, it's in you. I'm lifting my hands in surrender. I'm handing over fear and anxiety. I'm handing over my agenda, and I'm picking up your overflowing joy. And I thank you, God, right now in this moment, the joy from heaven. Jesus says, look at me. And as our eyes are fixed on me, he says, I will fill you with my joy and your joy will overflow. I thank you, Father God, that the anointing breaks the yoke. Right now, bondages are being thrown off. The captives are going free. And I thank you, Father God, the joyful, joyful church, the church of the firstborn, the church of not come to, to fear and trembling, but to joyful assembly. God, I thank you right now. Thank you right now. Let's just keep waiting on the Spirit of God. God is doing something deeper. It's not about emotion. It's about who we are in Him. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.